So what I would like for us to do this morning is just briefly, I want us to quickly review what we've been talking about during the Sundays of January. The first issue or subject that we dealt with was sanctity of life. We asked ourselves the question, what is the value of life? I don't know if you realize this, today is Sanctity, Sanctity of Life Sunday for evangelical churches. This is the day that we come and we remember that in the sight of God, all life is valuable and precious in His sight. God's Word has clearly spoken to us when it says that all life that which is unborn as well as that which is born, is wonderfully and fearfully made by the hand of God. We cannot debate that in Scripture. All life has value and worth in the sight of God. He is the Creator, so only God has the right to determine when life begins and when life ends. Can we agree upon that as God's church this morning? That's an issue that we're dealing with. We had Hope Center come and speak with us. They are one of the ministries that was started out of this church, and they do such, they have such a powerful impact in the hearts and the lives of ladies that are trying to make the decision about the life of an unborn child. And we have the opportunity to participate in that. And so, I want to encourage you to find your place of service and to be able to share love and compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ who find themselves in that situation. We need to figure out ways we can minister to those who are dealing with those issues in God's church or through God's church. We need to figure that out. The second issue that we dealt with was the immigration crisis that we're facing in America. Now, if you don't believe there's an immigration crisis in America, just open up some piece of social media that you have. You know, my children said last week that I was very redundant. I said I didn't tweet or Twitter. She said, my daughters told me, Daddy, that's the same thing. I said, well, I was trying to get a response from the crowd. (laughs) So you know how much I know about social media now, don't you, right? I do have a Facebook account. I go to to that Facebook account on occasion. And more than not, I would say all the time, at least recently, that issue is being debated. And I will tell you this. People on both sides of the aisle think they're right. And they are very passionate about it. If you remember nothing else I said in that sermon on last Sunday, I hope you will remember this statement. For the church... Immigration is not an issue of political policy. Immigration is an issue of people. People. Let me state that one more time. For the church, immigration is not an issue of political policy. For the church, immigration is an issue of people. As God's people, God's church, we have been called to love and to minister to all peoples, regardless of their status. God's Word challenges us, and He challenged us last week to love the stranger among us. 
That was not just a command that God gave to the children of Israel. That is a command that God gave to His church in the book of Hebrews. The unique thing is that word, hospitality, that is found there is a very unique word they have taken or the writer took and combined two different Greek words to make a word. The two Greek words that he chose was phileo, brotherly love, and the other one was shenia, which means stranger. We are to show brotherly love to the stranger among us. That is scriptural. That is scriptural. And we need to do that. We need to practice that as God's people to show love. We need to figure out ways we can show love to the stranger among us. You know, one of the things that God has really convicted me about in the whole immigration issue is this. Those people standing at the border are not nameless, faceless people to Jesus Christ. He knows each one of them in a personal way, and He desires for them to have a relationship with Him. They have all of the hopes and the aspirations that you and I have for our families. Now, I'm not saying that we forget the rule of law. We are called to be good citizens and to submit to those who are in authority over us. That's not what I'm saying. But the tension for us is this. How do we balance justice with mercy as God's people? That is our challenge, isn't it? Sure it is. We should be a people of justice. God is a God that is just. We should at the same time be a people of mercy. Jesus Christ said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That is one of the characteristics of a citizen of the kingdom of God is mercy. Two very challenging messages, right? Well, hold on to your seats this morning. This message is just as challenging as the first two. And I would share this with you today. As volatile as last Sunday's message is, that issue, the issue of immigration is in America today, I would say that issue is the most volatile. And this one right here is a very close second. It is the issue of homosexuality. The issue of homosexuality. It sounds like you could hear a pin drop in here when I made that statement. But can I tell you that is an issue that God's Word addresses very clearly for us. And we as God's people need to figure out a way how we can minister to the community of the homosexual. I would tell you they are no less in need of God than you and I were before we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 
They need Jesus Christ just like anyone else. And when I look at them, what I see is a group of people who are searching for significance in life. They're searching in relationships. And we have the answer to significance in life. Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy. There is a God-sized void in all of our life that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if a person is heterosexual or homosexual. Every single person needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is the truth of Scripture. And our challenge as God's people is this. How do we minister to that community in a godly way? How do we reach out to them and show the love and care and compassion of God to them? If we don't display that to them, there is a good chance many of them will never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes my greatest concern in the church, and even for myself, we love to get up on the soapbox and we love to announce to the world all that we stand against. And sometimes we never announce what we stand for. Can I say this this morning? I hope I can. I stand for everyone having the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior regardless of the life that they are living, regardless of the choices that they have made. I hope that we will be that kind of people today. So I want us to dive right into this topic this morning. I will share with you this is a topic that has been very, has been very challenging to me. Very challenging to me. I have searched Scripture all week. I have gone back and forth over my sermon a number of different times. Before my wife went to bed last night, I even had her read my sermon to make sure I had chosen all my words carefully. So if you have a problem with something I say this morning, please see my wife. (laughs) I'll be glad to give out her cell phone number at the end of the service. Oh, that does a lot for me. I've told people this morning, you know, preaching these sermons has removed about five years of my life from me as I have waded through each one of these topics. But I am convinced of this. God wants us or wants to speak something very important in our lives. And I don't want to make light of this. I realize that this issue, this subject is a very sensitive and emotionally charged subject. For some of you, you have relatives and friends that are living in that kind of life. And as a result, there is pain and hurt in your relationship with one another. I understand that completely. I've had more than one conversation with parents who are broken because they have a child that's living this kind of life. Or they have a very dear friend who's living in this life. And so I don't want you to think my words or I don't want my words to come across as insensitive this morning. And at the same time, I want to make sure that we solidly ground ourselves on the Word of God. Because I believe there is much confusion when it comes to this kind of life about what God's Word teaches. I've heard people justify both sides from the Word of God. And I will tell you that there is no issue that God's Word is more clear about than the issue of homosexuality. And how do we approach that? So how do we respond from a biblical perspective with love, care, and compassion to the homosexual community that is around us? 
They are in need of Jesus Christ just like everyone. Jesus loves them, and if He were here today, He would have compassion on them. And so we as His people should have love for them and compassion on them as well. What does that look like? So what I would like us to do this morning is to ask and to answer what I believe are the two most pressing, most important questions concerning this issue. The first question I want us to look at is this, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? What does the Bible teach about it? If we are truly a people of the book, we must allow the Word of God to determine what it is we believe. Not our feelings, our emotions, but the Word of God, and we must firmly stand on God's Word. That's what we must do as God's people. And second, we need to ask the question, how should God's church respond concerning people who are living that kind of life? Now let me just say something this morning. There are some people in God's church who need to repent of their attitude toward these people. They have belittled them. They have talked about them. They have shunned them. And I can tell you, in light of what Scripture teaches us, that is not correct. And we as God people need to check our hearts and make sure that we are looking at people from God's perspective with His love in our heart. Isn't that true? Yes, we do. And so I want us just to jump right in to this passage of Scripture or several different passages of Scripture. You're going to need your Bible, your device this morning. We're going to be traveling throughout the Word of God today. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, we may, we'll start all the way over in Leviticus, and before we're done, we're going to end up in 1 Corinthians. So I hope you have brought your lunches with you today. We're going to be here for a while, right? Yeah, because God wants us to have a good, clear understanding of this particular subject and what God's Word teaches about it. So as I have sat in my office this week and as I have poured over Scripture, I have come to realize that the Word of God teaches two very important truths about this particular life. And so I want to share those two truths with you. And then from there, I want us to jump over and look at what our biblical perspective should be, our biblical response to the homosexual community as God's church. So let me just start by saying this. The Bible clearly teaches all forms of homosexuality is wrong in the eyes of God. We can make God's Word say nothing else except for that. It is very clear that life is sinful. When we search Scripture and we honestly evaluate it in light of the context that it was written, there is no other conclusion that can be drawn. It is wrong. I want to point you to two different passages of Scripture this morning in God's Word that makes that truth very clear. The first passage of Scripture is found in Leviticus, the 18th chapter. So if you have your Bibles, your device, please flip them over to Leviticus, the 18th chapter. And in just a moment, we're going to read that verse of Scripture, and we're going to let God's Word speak very clearly into our hearts. This entire chapter is about relationships that honor and dishonor God. God had set apart the nation of Israel to be a light among the nations of the earth and to bring honor and glory to His name. He did not want them to be like the pagan nations. So He gives them very clear guidelines about the kind of relationship that brings glory to His name. 
Now I want you to listen to what the writer is writing in Leviticus, the 18th chapter, the 22nd verse. He's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that. This is not just one man's opinion about things. This is God's opinion and only God's opinion matters. And so we need to, we need to hang our hat on that. All Scripture is God-breathed, literally breathed out from the mouth of God is what it means. So listen to what he says here. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, God, couldn't you, couldn't you have just said that with, a, with, with language that wasn't quite so strong? But when it comes to that kind of relationship, God makes it very clear. It is detestable and destructive in His eyes. Now, some of us may be asking the question, or you may be thinking to yourself, well, Brother Jeff, why is that? Why does God look down on a relationship like that? What's wrong with two people of the same sex loving one another? Isn't God for love? And surely we can make that argument in Scripture that God is for love. It even says God is love. It's His very character. But it's a misunderstanding why God chooses to do what He does. Everything God designs is for His glory. And that relationship does not glorify and honor God. That's what God says. Those are not the pastor's words. Those are the words of God. There is nothing that God does in this world. There is nothing that God has designed that is not for His glory. And His desire is for it to reflect His glory. And God says that relationship does not reflect my glory. That is what Scripture teaches us. That is the truth of God's Word. You see, our problem is a misunderstanding of who God is. You see, what we want to do is usurp the authority of God, and we want to determine that the Creator, the created, knows better than the Creator. But I will tell you, that is not true. Very clearly, God says that relationship is detestable and destructive in His eyes. I know that's hard, but that is the truth of God's Word. Now, some of you may be saying, okay, Brother Jeff, that's the Old Testament. That's that archaic part of the Bible. You know, times have changed and cultures have changed. And as a result of that, maybe the New Testament speaks differently. After all, Paul says all of the law can be summed up in the one word, love. What does that mean for that? Well, I would tell you to open your Bibles or turn your Bibles. I would ask you to turn your Bibles to Romans, the first chapter. Paul is going to speak to that very issue in this passage. Can I also say while you're turning there, God says in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, all His words have application for our lives today. The truths, the principles, and the commands of God's Word transcend all generation and all times. God's Word never changes. The application may change for our lives, but the truth of God's Word still applies to every one of us today. So I want you to hear what it is that Paul writes to the, uh, to the church at Rome. Now, I want you to understand this context. 
homosexuality was openly accepted in the Roman Empire. Paul is writing in that context to this church. Now I want you to listen to what he says. It's no mistake that he chooses to address that in the opening verses of this book. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. We can't make it say anything else except what it says. Listen to me carefully. The easiest way to know what is sinful when it comes to sexual behavior is to know that God has protected the institution of sexual relationship. He says that a marital relationship is between a man and a woman. We don't have the right to define what marriage is. God instituted marriage. God created marriage. Only God has the right to determine what marriage is and is not. Doesn't matter what our nation says. Doesn't matter what our government says. At the end of the day, as followers of Jesus Christ, God has very clearly defined for us what marriage is. Any sexual relationship outside of marriage, as God has designed marriage, is unacceptable in His eyes. That is the clear teaching of God's Word. The Bible is very clear that any form of homosexuality is sinful. Is sinful. That's the truth of God's Word. I know if you're like me, I have people I know that are caught in that life. Sometimes it's hard for me. I think to myself, maybe I could just compromise a little here and a little bit there. But can I tell you something? When you start compromising a little bit here and a little bit there, you'll open your eyes one day and you'll realize... How in the world did I get this far away from God? We must stand very clear on what God's Word says. Number two, the second truth. The Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality is not a lifestyle. It is a death style. Homosexuality or the Bible very clearly teaches that homosexuality is not a lifestyle, it is a death style. That is the clear teaching of God's Word. Now some of you may be saying to yourself, well, what do you mean when you make that statement, preacher? For years the debate has swirled around two questions concerning homosexuality. Is a person born that way, or is that life a choice? Now, this is the way I would answer both of those questions. I would answer, yes. Now, some of you are probably thinking to yourself, well, now, wait just a minute, Brother Jeff. Those are two different questions. How can you answer yes to both of those questions? You're dodging the issue. Well, not really. Because both questions deal with the same issue. Both deal with the spiritual condition of mankind. 
And what we need to understand is what God's Word teaches concerning the condition or the spiritual condition of mankind. The Bible clearly states that mankind is depraved. That means when we left up to our own choices, we will choose that which is wrong over that which is right the vast majority of the time. We sin because we are sinners in our very nature. Now because of that, we are all depraved and at some point has taken that which God says is good and we have perverted it. That's the truth of the matter. You think about it for a moment. Isn't that what mankind has done with medicine? Yes. Is medicine a good thing? Oh, yes. We would say it is a wonderful thing. It saves so many people's lives. But you put it into the hands of someone who is depraved, and they will use it to bring about evil in the world. What about technology? I don't know about you. I love technology. Technology makes my life a whole lot easier. I'm grateful I don't have to sit down every week and handwrite out a sermon. I have technology that's before me. I think about what my dad used to do when he was in seminary on one of those old typewriters. Now, most of you don't know what that is, probably, or some of you may, but that typewriter is kind of like a keyboard on a computer. He did all of his papers on one of those typewriters. I think to myself, oh, goodness. Technology is a great asset. But can I also submit to you this morning, you put it into the hands of a person who is depraved and they will use it to bring about evil in the world in which we live. Can I also say to you this morning, the same is true about sexual relationships. God said that it is great, it is a gift of God, and in its proper context, it is wonderful. But I will tell you this, at some point, every single person has lived outside of Jesus Christ, has taken that which God said was good, and we've perverted it. Think about it for a moment. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what happened? They sinned against God and their eyes were opened and they recognized that they were naked. And what does it say? And they had shame in their hearts. At the moment in time that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were opened, at that moment in time, lust entered into the heart of mankind it was no longer about how can I serve the other person in the relationship. Now it is all about what can I get from this person in the relationship. Isn't that true? And since that day, apart from Jesus Christ, every single person has lust in their heart. Jesus Christ said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Now please hear what I'm saying this morning. In Christ, all of that is recovered. Please don't misunderstand me. I want you to understand, when I answer the question, are homosexuals born that way? And I say yes, they like us are born with a heart bent towards sin. In our very core, apart from Jesus Christ, 
all of us are sinful. That is the truth of God's Word. We can make it nothing else. And at the same time, I would say this. They are also responsible for their choices. Just like you and I are responsible for our choices. The Word of God clearly teaches sin is a choice. Just because we're tempted in an area does not mean we have to act on that temptation. We are all just like Adam and Eve apart from Christ. We choose to fulfill our selfish appetites and desires. Ephesians chapter 2 makes that oh so very clear. At one time you were dead in your trespasses and sins, gratifying your selfish desires and appetites. That is the truth of God's word. But this is what I want you to hear me say. Please hear me say this. Homosexuality is not a lifestyle. It is a death style. That is what is taught in Scripture. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now listen to me carefully. It is not the sin of homosexuality, fornication, or adultery, or any other individual sin that sends a person to hell. It's the fact that people are sinners, depraved in their very nature that sends people to hell. Homosexuality, adultery, and any other kind of sin that is in a person's life is just a symptom of a much greater problem. People are dead in their trespasses and sins and only can be made alive by the power of God. They need salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. That is the truth of God's Word. Can I say that we all found ourselves in that same place one time or another? Do you see that in Scripture? I want us to be clear what the Word of God teaches. And the Word of God is so very clear. All forms of homosexuality are wrong in the sight of God. They are sinful. Homosexuality is not a lifestyle. It is a death style. That is the truth of God's Word. But really, the most important question outside of that one is this. Is the question, how should we as a church respond to those who are living that kind of life? How do we minister to people in that community? Let me offer you two different truths. First, we must accept the sinner without approving of their sin. Now, I can say this to you this morning. That is a lot easier said than done. Am I the only one that is challenged by that? Don't we oftentimes blur the lines between the sin and the sinner? Oh, yes, we surely do. But I want you to know something. There is a big difference between accepting and approving. Jesus always accepted people, but he never, ever approved of their sinfulness. 
Think about it for a moment. Woman at the well. Jesus speaking to a woman in public. That was countercultural. As a matter of fact, she and, her, and the apostles both are shocked that Jesus Christ is speaking to an Amer- a Samaritan woman and a woman of Ill, repu- Ill repute in public. By the very virtue that Jesus Christ spoke to that woman in public, he said, I accept you. And then at the end of the conversation, what does Jesus Christ say to the woman? Go and call your husband. Don't think for a moment that Jesus Christ didn't know she didn't have a husband. He knew full well that that woman had no husband. And the man she was living with was not her husband. He knew that. He even says, you have spoken rightly. What about the story of Zacchaeus? Jesus Christ is passing through Jericho, is he not? There's a man, a wee little man, we sing that song. Couldn't see over the crowd, right? So he climbed up in a sycamore tree. Jesus Christ comes to the sycamore tree, looks up in there and he says to Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, Zacchaeus. I want to come and visit your house today. To eat with someone in the first century was to accept them. What was the Pharisees' big complaint about Jesus Christ? He eats with tax collectors and sinners. Remember that? Jesus is accepting those people. But he never ever approved of Zacchaeus being a thief. He never approved of it. For too long, the church has told the homosexual community, you can't come to church. I'm sorry. For too long, the church has told the homosexual community, you can come to church, but first you need to get your life straightened out and cleaned up. And then we will welcome you. Jesus says, come just as you are, and I will clean up your life. That's what Jesus Christ says. Come just as you are. And I will fix your life. Second, so first, we must be willing to accept the sinner, but not approve of the sin. Number two, we must believe that God can forgive and change anyone. Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you really believe that? I hope you believe it. If you are here this morning, your life, if you're here this morning, you've trusted Jesus Christ, let me say that. Your life is living proof of that truth. Every one of our lives. Every one of our lives are living proof of that truth. Jesus Christ is in the change business. 
taking that which was ugly and filthy and making it into something beautiful, clean, and pure. And he has done that in every single believer's lives. We were all depraved in our inward nature. We chose to do that which was wrong over that which was right. We live selfishly unto ourselves. But in Christ Jesus, we have been made something beautiful, pure, and clean. In Christ, by the power of Jesus Christ, not by our own. That is the truth of God's Word for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, I want you to see this in Scripture. It is beautiful. So if you have your Bibles as we close this morning, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verses 9 through 11. I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth about this particular subject. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor uh, revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Every one of us this morning who knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can take out the pronoun you. We can insert our name into that passage of Scripture. That is who we were before we came to know Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, we have been washed by the Word of God. We've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And we have been justified by God Himself. That is who we are. We are a changed people. We have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our hearts and in our life. And as a result of experiencing that, God has made us into a new creation. And I would tell you if He can do that in your life and He can do that in my life, He can do that in anyone's life today. He can do it. I think what we have done is we have removed the power of the gospel. We have removed it. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. There is a power in the gospel that can take the hardest of hearts and it can make him into a new creation is what we see. I don't know about you, but I'm so very grateful for that. I oftentimes joke with my wife, and tell her, you know, if you would have met me before 25, you would have never married me. I'm thankful that I have been sanctified and washed and justified by Jesus Christ. I am a different individual, and it's not because of anything about me. It's all about Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change a person's life. Folks, homosexuals are no less in need of Jesus Christ than you and I were. If Christ can forgive and change each of our lives, then He can forgive and change anyone's life. We must believe that the same God who worked in us can work in anyone's life to change them.
I shared with you earlier, I struggled a long time exactly what to say in this sermon. I was uncertain. But this is what I know. Jesus Christ is in the business of changing people's lives. That is the truth of God's word. And if a person is willing to turn away from a life of sin and turn to Jesus Christ in faith, trusting that Jesus Christ hung and died to pay the penalty for their sin at the cross, the Bible very clearly teaches whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is scriptural. And I believe the most important question any of us can ask ourselves this morning is this. Have I experienced that change in my life? You see, when you meet Jesus Christ face to face, you can't help but be changed. If you've not experienced that change in your heart and your life this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to experience that in your life today. We're going to have a time of invitation this morning. It's going to give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord in whatever manner we need to respond. Maybe you're here this morning. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you this morning to come. I want to share with you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Perhaps you're here this morning. And more than anything else, maybe your view, your heart, has not been right toward the homosexual community. Can I say something to you very clearly this morning? There are times we as Christians need to repent. That's just the truth of the matter. Repentance is not just for those who are lost. Repentance is for God's people as well when we get off track. Maybe that's where we need to start and deal with that right there. Maybe we've not been loving people as Jesus loves people. Maybe we need to ask God to help us to love people in that way. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet this morning. We're going to have an opportunity to respond to the Lord in whatever manner we need to respond. As the instrumentalists make their way, we're going to have a word of prayer. And then right after we have a word of prayer, we're going to have an invitation and you respond.